Welcome to the Habits of an Impactful Fundraiser from We Are For Good Studios. This limited podcast series is designed to help you get clarity for your role within a nonprofit and help you build the habits that lead to long-term growth to find balance along the journey. Today, we are diving in through the lens of the donor relations professional, and you know that we couldn't just bring one person on for this. We had to bring team awesome into this conversation. We've got Lynn Wester with the DRG group in the house alongside her work little brother, T. Clay Buck. We're just so excited that you're here on the podcast. Welcome guys. Welcome back for like the 25th time it feels like. We're so happy to be here. John, we've been diving into this series and we've looked at the different roles within a fundraising shop. And and this series is really about how do we kind of just twist the lens a little? How do we look at our role differently? How do we adapt to the way that the world is moving and growing and connecting? And we're going to dive right into this first habit. And so I want to pitch this first one to you, Clay. And the first question is really about asking the right questions. And when you think about your really high-performing donor relationship, professionals, what are the right questions that they should be asking themselves and what we should really be trying to accomplish that's the bigger picture in our work? I want to bring forward that perspective that, um, especially in my work and in my history, most of the nonprofits that I've been at, that I've worked at, don't have the title donor relations right? That it's, that it's, it's, it's included in, I mean, I've been database administrator was my title and donor relations was my job. So I, I just want to bring that forward and lay that out that, you know, to everybody that's, that's tuning in. Hi, and thank you. Um, that, you know, when we talk about donor relations, wherever it lands, whether it's donor stewardship, whether whatever it is, the number one question that, that leaps to my mind is what is the donor getting from their experience with us? Right? And we do a lot of work and there's a lot of data on why do people give. And fundamentally, it all comes down to whether they gave because somebody asked them to, whether they gave because they were at an auction and felt compelled to, whether they get whatever reason they gave. The reason the donor is going to say they gave is because they care about the mission. That's why in every survey we see, right, I gave because I care about the mission, right? Because giving is about our higher ideal self. So when we're asking that question, what is the donor getting from this experience? And what is the donor getting from their giving? The answer needs to be helping the beneficiary. So what am I doing as a donor relations person to bridge that gap between the person who needs help and the person who wants to help? Because no matter what situation the world is in, no matter what philosophy of fundraising we're talking about at the end of the day there will always be people who need help and there will always be people who want to help so if as a donor from the donor relations perspective if we're asking ourselves what is the donor is the donor fulfilling their values their psychology their intent that's the bridge that 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 i am making and then i think the second question i'm going to paraphrase uh, Henry Nouwen for for just a second. Um, Henry Nouwen uh, was a Catholic uh, monk, theologian, philosopher. He wrote an incredible book when he was asked to raise the money for the, his monastery. It's called A Spirituality of Fundraising. Regardless of your faith background, it should be on every fundraiser's 
bookshelf because what he came to through prayer and study and research and meditation was this definition of, of fundraising. But one of the things that Henry Nouwen is, is known for saying is, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, have I bought priests today? Have I shared joy today? Have I, have I advanced justice today? And, and I would say that group of questions for any donor, donor relations professional. Have I brought joy? Have I brought peace? Have I brought justice forward in the work that I am doing with helping donors realize a vision? Have I brought that through in my work and helped the donor see it? And have I done it for me and my organization and my beneficiaries as well? I mean, if you want to feel dignity and pride in your work, like what centering questions? And I love that you let in with donor experience too, because we got Lynn Wester in the house. To me is like donor experience is something that you have been teaching and we've been learning from you for now more than a decade. And so I want to kick that question number two over to you, because as we think about this sector of our business, like creating incredible donor experiences, what are three daily habits for success in this role, in this donor relations role? I actually think that those three daily habits for me boil down to categories almost. So one is living life with an attitude of gratitude. So every day making sure that I send gratitude to someone, whether it be a handwritten note, whether it be a text to someone I love telling them they're my sunflower, um, you know, whoever it is every day, I remember to be grateful for something. Um, And so I think that number one, the practice of gratitude, and we know it makes you live longer. We know it makes you get a boost of serotonin, right? There's, there's physical and metaphysical benefits to gratitude, but it also grounds you in that if you don't have an attitude of gratitude, then the work you're doing isn't as meaningful. You know, people choose to be generous. They choose to give to us. And I think we need to be grateful for the people that do choose to give. And sometimes in fundraising, we get caught up in the, it's never enough money. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we can sometimes come from a scarcity mindset. And I like to instead spend time praising those that have been generous, whether they're generous in my life, they're generous in my work. So number one, every day, make sure that you make a physical expression of gratitude, a note, an email, a Zoom, a video, a text, something that you are doing external of yourself to give gratitude. So that's the first one. The second one for me, I'm an Enneagram 8, so I'm a big champion of other people, a defender. The second thing I do to live a great donor relations life is I'm looking for my unsung heroes, my unsung hero donors or people in my organization that make things go. So a daily practice for me is working on advocating for those folks. So for example, I'm a big advocate for loyal donors. Loyal donors are the bedrock of our industry and they often get overlooked because they don't maybe give large amounts. And so I am a fierce advocate for loyal donors. So finding someone who gives to your organization that's not been championed or someone that works in your organization that's not been championed. For example, maybe it's the person who processes gifts in your organization, or if you work on events, maybe it's the facilities person, but championing someone other than yourself is a daily practice that I work really hard to do. Um, In my industry, I'm known as a matchmaker. So whenever somebody comes to me and says, we'd like you to speak to you to speak at a conference, or we'd like you to help us, I say, 
what about helping this person or what about having this person instead and try to put other people forward? So that's my second daily donor relations practice. And then my third one is being a proactive problem solver. I don't think we value this skill enough in our industry, um, in the workplace, in life in general. Um, We all have a lot of complaints. We all face a lot of challenges, but there is nothing better than someone who helps me solve a problem or who thinks proactively about the problem, whether it's, hey, do you need a milkshake? Or, hey, let me help you out with that data pull that you seem to be frustrated over. And being vulnerable vulnerable enough as a human being to say, I do need some help. And I could use a hug. Or, heck yeah, I need a milkshake. Um, All of those things lead to the practice of um, proactive problem solving. Instead of just accepting, fix it. Fix it. Right? So give gratitude champion another human being, and fix a problem. If you did those three things every day, then your life, your work, your world, your people, wow, that those are three things that I try to do every day as a donor relations professional. I don't know if you came for the tactics, but here's the heart work. I mean, really, and I said heart, not hard. I mean, it's not lost on me that everything you just said there, Lynn, was about being generous, generous to others, generous to yourselves. And I think that's really grounding. And when we pour ourselves into work with that level of intentionality, it's felt. That's the authentic, vulnerable um, engagement that we're talking about. And I think that was so smart. And so one of the things I love about this series is the way that everything I think you're going to say, you don't say, at least with our guests, they come in here and just blow our minds in the best way. And so I'm excited to ask you this question because it has been a curveball, I think, in every single Friday series. What is the relationship that you prioritize? What are the relationships that you prioritize in donor relations? Because I'm sure the soothsayers of yore are going to tell you to go to the top of the pyramid. But what's Lynn and Clay going to say? Lynn? Uh, Everybody thinks I'm going to say the biggest donor or the vice president or the president, and I'm not. I'm going to say I love a worker bee. I prioritize what I call the gatekeepers of the world. So growing up, Um, My dad didn't have a lot. It's a long story, but he eventually became very successful and ran a Fortune 100 company. And I had the privilege of going to work with him on the weekends. Yes, he went to work on the weekends because that's what you do. And we were walking through one of his factories. They made potato chips and snack foods and Cheetos and Fritos and Doritos and all those things. And we walked into the plant early on a Saturday morning. And my dad stopped in his tracks with me holding my little hand and he stopped and, and talked to a man named Leonard and Leonard was the janitor or the cleaner of the plant. He came in overnight and he worked from 11 PM until like eight or nine in the morning. And that plant was spotless. And my dad had a five or 10 minute conversation with Leonard introduced me to where I tried to shake his hand. And even though my feeble little arm couldn't reach, he, he grabbed it and said, nice to meet you little lady. And I met Leonard and on the way to my dad's fancy office way above the plant, I said to my dad snidely, cause I was like eight or nine dad, why did you talk to the janitor? You're like the boss. 
And my dad said, let me tell you something. I talked to the janitor for two reasons. Number one, I used to be the janitor. And don't you ever think you're better than somebody who cleans the floors. And number two, if you want to know about a company, if you want to know about an organization, ask the person that cleans the floors. They know everything. And I took that lesson and applied it to my work. You want to know about a nonprofit organization? Ask the receptionist. You want to know about the vice president? Ask their administrative assistant. Talk to the facilities people. Talk to the gift processors. Talk to the worker bees who don't get the glory, who aren't ringing the fundraising bell every day. Talk to the person in research and data. Those are the people whose relationships I value the most because those are the people who do it for the heart work and the hard work. And I learned that lesson from my dad early on that anybody can clean a floor. Anybody can be an executive. Anybody can be the fancy person in the big office signing the documents, but it takes real gumption and guts to clean the bathrooms and to do the work that is the unsung hero of the organization. So I remember Leonard, when Leonard died, my dad attended his funeral Like it was a big deal in our house. And so you have to treat everybody, everybody with respect. And so I value the relationships of the unexpected. I mean, I'm feeling our core values and I'm just thinking like, what a seminal moment. I love when people take us back to their childhood because I'm also hyperanalyzing my parenting skills in real time of like, am I creating (laughs) these moments for my kids? But um, wow, powerful. And it does align with everything we teach. Like we're trying to build community around this. This is about getting to know people and their stories and it matters. It deeply matters. So, okay, let's keep going here. We've got a little fun segment. This is like our favorite of the habit series. We want y'all to walk us through some do this, don't do that kind of ideas around donor relations. There's a lot of bad myths out there. There's a lot of tactics that people think are smart. So I'm going to start with Clay. Give us one, do this instead of this, or this instead of that. Thank all your donors. Stop sending receipts and thank your donors. We get so wrapped up in, we get so wrapped up in the, you know, we got to get the receipt out. Well, it takes time. And talking about unsung heroes, let's champion our database administrators and the people that are entering the data, crunching all of that stuff. Like, you know, and and I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on a soapbox. I get so tired of hearing, well, they're not fundraisers. Yeah, they are. You know, good luck retaining your (laughs) donors. Yes, they are. good Good luck working with your donors without your prospect development, prospect research, and database administrators, like bring them into the table because they they know more about your donors than you probably do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, not to get all finger point, but <laughs> go for um, it. Like receipts can come. Donors don't need receipts right now, especially if it's like July, right? They, they're not filing taxes today. Get them a thank you letter. If you can get a thank you letter out the door, dear John, thank you so much. You should hear the shout of joy that came up in the office when we opened uh, the envelope with your gift. We're putting it to work right away. In the next few weeks, you'll get a receipt and all of that stuff. But we just wanted to tell you right now how wonderful and special you are. Boom, done. Get it out. Right. So thank you, donors. Stop receiving them. Do receipt them later on, but thank them right now. I think for me, it's sequitur to that. Um, thank your donors and don't ask them for more money in the same breath. So I thank created a word called a called a fast. <laughs> And I was hosting a conference conference this week and an attendee said, but my organization does it and we get $100,000 in those envelopes. We put an envelope in every thank you. And I said, I am sorry that 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 has gotten you $100,000, but it's also killed your retention. So it's killing your long-term strategy. And here's how I relate to it. You would never 
write a thank you note to um to say to someone dear dear Mima, thank you so much for my cabbage patch doll i will play with it i will love it i loved christmas but my birthday's coming up and how about you get on that rainbow bright train grandma <laughs> oh my gosh you would never do it you would never send like a thank you note for your wedding present and then inside put your invitation to your baby shower and be like we're on the pampers train okay john you opened this door and you both opened this door in bringing us back you knew this was going to happen because i'm going to add on to what lynn said and do this don't don't do that stop measuring dollars dollars great and yes dollars help us hit the budget goal but in that example and all due respect to that team right we raise a hundred thousand dollars but how many are you not renewing? That's what they're not looking yes. at in that context, right? Is the metric of, yes, we're raising $100,000, but you didn't look at that mailing, that retention, and that group and go, sure, we raised $100,000 because we included an envelope, but we lost 250000 from donors who never gave us again. So maybe right. the task is what's causing that. So stop measuring just total dollars. Do yeah. you know... Forgive me if I have told you this story before. Do you know that trees rot from the ground up? I did not. Trees rot yeah. from the ground up. So if you are looking at a forest and you're in a watchtower or in a building or on top of a mountain and you're looking out and you see this green, lush, beautiful forest, right? The green canopy of trees and it's just gorgeous and wonderful, right? And you think, wow, what a beautiful forest. And then you go down to the forest floor and what you find is there haven't been controlled burns. There haven't been um, any taking care of it. And it is swampy and it's moldy. And literally the trees are rotting from the ground up, right? You're looking at the top going, wow, this gorgeous canopy of trees. But what you're not seeing is that without cultivation and care, that forest is completely rotting and ultimately the canopy will die. That's what happens when we measure just dollars. I am stealing that metaphor. And then I'm going to give the last do this, do, don't do that. <laughs> do not list your donors. Stop with the honor rolls and the lists of names and the walls with names all over them. Call it out. Nobody gives a crap. You're always going to make a mistake. It's the worst donor <laughs> relations practice in the world is a list of donors in your newsletter in, on a wall. Some Like, stop it. Instead, tell them what their money did. Holy crap. Donors don't give a hoot about their name on a list, but they'll give a hoot if you don't tell them what their money did. So you can't do both well. Can I just insert really quickly too? Because when whenever you do a donor list, there's a dollar level at which you get on the wall and it tells everybody below that level that they're not valued. So if we're going to talk about building inclusivity and diversity and diversifying funds, then we have to do away with, with donor recognition walls. But, but, but our favorite big donor act that he wants that he needs that fine. You know what it tells an emerging donor population? We already have plenty of money. We don't need yours. We don't, we have rich people. We're good. So you know what? Instead, I'm going to tell the story of impact and stop listing names. And those nonprofits that understand that it's not about public recognition. It's instead about impact of, of the donor and their generosity they win all day long in donor relations. So that is how we're going to chapter and verse that one. And I know that is a hard conversation for many. I know that mm -hmm. means walking away from money. But true philanthropists, 
people who are giving because they truly care, when you come back and say, we, we have stopped naming things because of this, this, and this, true philanthropists will understand, they will believe, they will carry forward. You can also tell them how expensive it is to have to name things and how much work goes into it. And you're true philanthropists that will really believe. And if they gave because they want their name on a building, we'll sit down with them and work out something that would be meaningful. But we don't name buildings. We don't do walls. We don't do blah. We don't do lists. We don't do lists. And if you make that decision as an organization, I recommend that you put it on and blast it out from a PR perspective so that people understand who you are, what your values are about. And guess what? You will be, people will be a magnet to that sort of philosophy. And so I want to go to the next one and it's, and I have a feeling this is a ticking time bomb. What are some KPIs that matter and KPIs that don't matter? Lynn, hit us with this one. Number one, number one measure of success of a donor relations program is retention. First time donor retention and overall donor retention. I don't care if you don't measure anything else. Now, Clay probably does, but first time donor retention, overall donor retention. If you are not keeping your donors, there's no point in fundraising. Uh, shout out to Sam LaProd at Griffin Fundraising, uh, based out of Canada, who really Fantastic. taught me this, and I learned from this, um, and I now agree, second gift conversion. After retention rate, it's second gift conversion. Because retention rate tends to measure year over year, and I agree, right? But especially when we're talking about low and mid-range, when we're talking about alumni, when we're talking about community giving, it's that second gift conversion that really tells us where our loyal donors are and where our potential loyal donors are. So when are they making that second gift? What does the timing look like? And 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 how are they doing it? The, the other metric that I am absolutely obsessed with, which ties to second gift conversion, is what I call consistent, but not consecutive. And look at your, you look at your donor relations program, look at your giving program over time, five years, Look at your donors over 10 years. And what you start to find is, um, and Lynn, if I totally stole this away from you, I'm sorry. I apologize. Honey, you uh, could steal you anything. Know. You already stole my heart. Oh, uh, oh. Right here on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that love. Yeah. Um, we're making heart signs at each other because we adore each other. Um, look at your look at your donor giving over 10 years. And what you find is you will find a group of donors 10%-ish, who they give in one year, and then they take the next year off. And then in the third year, they give like three times. And then in the fourth year, they give once. And the, and what you find over 10 years is they've given really consistently. They just don't give every year like we want them to because it fits our budget goals. They're giving on their timetable. They're giving on their emotional timetable, right? And what we find is that over 10 years, we have these loyal giving donors that I guarantee you, I guarantee you are out there walking around going, yes, of course I support acne charities. That's who I am. That's what I do. And we have been treating them like a cybunt, right? But they're out there saying I'm a supporter. Side note, if it could, just a little plug, they love recurring giving offers. Yes. You go back to them and you say, hey, John, noticed that you have been giving for 10 years. You are one of our most loyal and generous supporters. And on average, you're giving about $45 a, a, a time. Would you consider making that gift quarterly? That way, you know, blah, 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 right? 
and they just they they go for it because that's who they think they are anyway. I promise you, they're in there. Oh, I've got a metric out of left field, and then we'll end this question. And it comes from some of the experts, myself and others. All right, are you ready for this metric? Hit us Uh-oh. with a weird that. one, and some of you are going to be like, "What? How many times in a communication do you say you versus we?" Mm-hmm. Oh, if you're always we 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 in. You need to be you, you, you in, in donor communications, especially thank yous. Thank yous. When you're saying you, when you're talking to the donor, what you're doing is you're joining the donor with the us and we that is part of this community, right? You're bringing that donor into you, the organization that's fulfilling the mission, the beneficiary that is receiving the services that you provide, and you're making a donor a part of, not dominant, not not the superhero that solved everything, but a part of this whole, because that's what it takes. It takes us in the seats at the nonprofit, at the university, at the organization. It takes the beneficiary who is there for the mission that we're providing. And it takes the donor, all of us together. And when you keep saying you to them, you're bringing them into that mix. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that one, Lynn. I mean, and something that Lynn said before that's always stuck with me is, could you name your most loyal donors? Because we all know our biggest donors in terms of dollars, but it's kind of a gut check to be like, are we even attuned to those kind of um, people that could just be flying under the radar? So really powerful conversation. I mean, y'all have a huge heart for this sector. I know we just got to hang out at ADRP. There's a lot of professionals there that are looking to find support, find sustainability to their jobs too. And I just think of like, how do you show up for yourself to take care of yourself in this work? What is a mental health, you know, habit or hack that you could share with this community today? I'm going to let Clay go first. And yeah, then I'll finish. I think because this is fresh of mind for, for me. So let me own a little <clears throat> uh, vulnerability um, and um, being somewhat new to this. And it is the making time for you. It feels very selfish. Um, it feels very hard. Um, it feels like you're letting, at least it did for me. Um, you're letting folks down, but carving out and making sacrosanct time for you, whatever that means, right? Whether it's reading a book, walking a dog, um, just sitting on a sofa, taking a bath or, you know, going out with friends, whatever that means is finding time to step away and be with yourself um, because we need you. The sector needs you. And as cliche as it may sound, you cannot pour from an empty vessel. You can't. For me, as many of you know, I struggle with an anxiety disorder. Um, So I use self-care to, I see a psychologist once a week and take care of myself professionally. But I also do some things personally. So um, five or six days a week, I take an hour out of my day and I go to a Pilates instructor privately and I turn over control for an hour. Mm-hmm. My life is spent making big decisions, small decisions, decisions for other people, decisions for me. And for an hour of my life, I get to not make any decisions. Put your foot here, put your arm there. Oh, that's a stretch. Oh, do this twice. Don't do this twice. I don't check an email. I don't think about work. I have that hour and it's just for me. And I let go of control which is very difficult. And um, I also am learning self-care in terms of 
resting. If I want to go and I need a nap, I go take a nap. If I need to take a swim, I take a swim. Um, I'm learning. I don't always have the luxury of those things, but when I don't have the luxury to do those things is when I reach out, I'll send someone I care about a text message. I'll, and I think that that, you know, and I have certain people and they may not know it or not, but that's my unconscious way of trying to escape my brain for five minutes. I love sending memes or funny things on the internet. Um, I love watching read like it's stupid, but those little breaks from the intensity of a day can really do it. And then again, my favorite thing in the world, if I am really down, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I go shopping for other people. So I have a list of about five or 10 vendors that I'm obsessed with. And I will go on the vendor site and go, who needs something that they don't need? And Farm Girl Flowers <laughs> delivers clay some sunflowers or Munch Pack will deliver some snacks or I'll send somebody a witty notebook or a t-shirt. Like I don't need the stuff, but I want to shop, but I don't need anything. So I send it to other people because I know, and I, not for an occasion, not for a reason, just for S and G's and because I think they need it. And <laughs> I go shopping for other people. So generosity is fun to do. You like live it. Thanks so much for coming guys. Thanks so much for having us, John. We are so happy to be here. Thank you. Cannot express how much joy you all bring into the world and how much we get from you. It's just, a, it's a thrill to be here. Uh, great to talk about these topics. Thank you for providing this space um, and this conversation. You guys are amazing. Love you guys. 